And I want to study what I'm going to call today true glory. Now, you might know where I'm going. You probably know where I'm going, especially if you've read the chapter from Steps to Christ and put it together with the scripture reading. But in the scripture reading, if you want to turn back there, or if you're already there, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, I want to begin with. Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse 23, very poetic words that Jeremiah utters here. And notice how he begins in Jeremiah 9 verse 23. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Notice what he says here. He says, don't let the wise man glory in his wisdom. Don't let the mighty man glory in his might. Don't let the rich man glory in his riches. And aren't those things that people glory in today? Riches, strength, and wisdom. You can look and see. I was trying to figure out if we could determine, and you can't really determine these very well, the richest person in the world. Well, that fluctuates depending on what uh, the stock market is doing. For different people take and pass over. I think right now it is Jeff Bezos, followed by some, I don't know, one man I didn't know from France, I think, and Elon Musk and Bill Gates. They've all been up there, richest people in the world. Of course, the smartest person in the world is very hard to quantify, and I'm not sure you really can. One man that they say is the unknown smartest man of the, in the world, William James Sidis, and uh, he was born to Eastern European immigrants in New York in about the late uh, 1800s, and by 18 months old, he was reading the New York Times. By eight years old, he fluently knew eight languages. He invented his own language. I guess none of the other languages were interesting enough, so he invented a language by combining Greek and Latin and other languages and wrote a book on his own language that he invented. By his 20s, he knew over 20 languages. Depending on what source you look at, some will say even more. He was the youngest person to ever enroll in Harvard. His father wanted to enroll him at age nine, and Harvard refused to allow him because of his his overall maturity level. And finally, they agreed. He enrolled in another college, and finally, Harvard admitted him at age 11. Now, He was giving lectures in his teens to his professors. (laughs) Ironically, he became uh, annoyed. I don't know exactly what you want to say. Too much being in the limelight. And uh, he actually just went into a life of seclusion, doing odd jobs here and there, even though he was predicted to be one of the greatest Uh, engineers, and uh, I think maybe some other field as well. 
Strongest man, once again, that's hard to come up with. One of the, the, uh, one of the individuals that would rank for one of the strongest men, Bill Kazmaier, uh, from Wisconsin. And, uh, you read some of the feats. He won the strongest man in the world title for three years in a row. And then the fourth year he was prohibited from entering because he was dominating everything too much. And if I were to tell you all the enormous amount of bench press and log pull and car lifting and rock throwing and all of these things, uh, it would take, probably most of us, it would take three or four of us just to lift what he lifted. But the Bible says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. The wisdom, the strength, the riches are not true glory. What is true glory? Let's read the next verse. Verse 24. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Billionaires, don't glory in that. Don't let the wisest men in the world that have IQs that we can't even fathom glory in that. Don't let the mighty men, those with the greatest strength and whatever, glory in that. But let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Now, it is highly unlikely that any of us will ever be the richest or smartest or strongest person in the world. Highly, highly unlikely. But we can have greater glory than any of that, can't we? Because here he says, let him that glories glory in his knowledge of me. That he understands and that he knows me. And I would suggest that this true glory is not a glory that we have to wait for the courts of heaven to rejoice in. This is a glory that we can begin to have here and now. And so the question we want to ask is how do we understand? And how do we know our God? And I want to suggest three ways today. I'm not, not trying to be exclusive, uh, exhaustive. Let's go first of all to, pro, to Psalms, chapter 19. Psalms 19.
Psalms 19, verses 1 through 3. Very significant passage here. The heavens declare, what does it say? The glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. The heavens declare what? The heavens declare the glory of God. Can we learn of God's goodness and His glory by looking into the heavens? I love, on a clear night, quiet, maybe a little warmer, To stand outside and to look up into the night sky and to see the dazzling array of stars and to be able to see the Milky Way banding across the heavens there. And to look and to say, we are seeing billions of miles away. We are seeing, in some instances, millions of light years away. The heavens declare the glory of God. It was mentioned, uh, that sunset this week, well, there's a couple, but that sunset was beautiful. I love in the, this time of year, in the summer we don't get to see it, but in the, in this time of year, our window which faces to the east, we don't have a very good west view, but we have an east view. And, uh, The leaves are off the trees so we can see the sun coming up better. And I love to, when we're having our family worship or having our devotions, to be looking out and to see the sunrise coming out. The heavens declare the glory of God. But notice what it says here. Not only do the heavens declare the glory of God... But it says in verse 3, there's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Is that true? Every single person on the planet Earth can look up and see the heavens. Maybe not always can they see a sunrise if they're in one of the places where the sun doesn't always rise. But you can always see something of the glory of God, right? And the psalmist says, the heavens declare God's glory and everyone can learn of God's goodness through his created work. Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. There's a verse that we, now I want you to remember what we just read. But there's a verse that we frequently read that is a very good verse that is very applicable, but we don't usually read it in its context. And I believe that how we use it is valid, but its context is also valid as well. Romans chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Romans 10, 17 and 18. 
So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, that's an important verse and it shows us how does our faith grow? By the word of God. The word of God grows our faith, doesn't it? If we want our faith to increase, we need to spend time in God's word. But notice the context of verse 18. But I say... Have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Where is he quoting from here? It's what we just read in Psalm 19. He's quoting from Psalm 19. And notice what he says here. He says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But have they not heard? Yes, because everybody has been able to see God's glory in the heavens and His created work. The implication is that by studying the glory of God in the natural world, our faith can increase and grow. Seeing God in nature, God wants to use to increase our knowledge of Him. Whether it's the sparkle of the frost in the sunlight, a fresh covering of snow. I know we complain about it, but it's still pretty even when you look at it. The fresh green of spring. The beautiful blue of the lake. The delicate flowers. The beautiful sounds of the birds singing. And you know, then when you combine that, the early morning and the fresh green and the birds singing, God is trying to speak to us of His love. The man-made and the artificial There's amazing things that man makes and has made. But nothing compares to what God does every day. There are amazing works of art that man has created, but it's nothing compared to that sunset we saw earlier this week. You can't capture it. Steps to Christ, page 85. Nature speaks to our senses without ceasing. The open heart will be impressed with the love and glory of God as revealed through the works of His hands. As we behold what is around us, as long as it's a natural world, 
God wants to speak to us of his love. There's another statement here that I think is very interesting. The poet and the naturalist have many things to say about nature. But it is the Christian who enjoys the beauty of the earth with the highest appreciation because he recognizes his father's handiwork and perceives his love in flower and shrub and tree. You can read philosophers and poets and they talk about the amazing things of nature and they're right, but a Christian can enjoy it and receive it even more. Because we need to direct our mind just from the amazing beauty of nature, direct it to the creator of all. She continues in this statement, no one can fully appreciate the significance of hill and vale, river and sea, who does not look upon them as an expression of God's love to man. We can learn of God by intentionally thinking of our Creator in the beautiful things that we see around us. In the world today, we're surrounded with the artificial. But look outside our windows, son. (laughs) Try to get outside and take a walk, even when it's cold. (laughs) And as you're outside, direct your mind. Think of the one that created the tree and the sunset and the flower and the birds and all of that. And see, you know, there's no reason why things have to be beautiful other than God loves us. He's a lover of the beautiful and He wants us to learn of Him through seeing what's around us. So number one, we can learn of God, we can know God by learning of Him in nature. But there's another way that I want to mention before we get to the main way. We know God by recognizing His hand in the daily occurrences of life. What do I mean? We need to recognize God's hand in the things that happen to us. It can simply be a person that we meet in throughout the day. I remember I was, some years ago, I was in Tucson, Arizona, doing a, holding a series of meetings, and there was a young lady that had responded, and we ended up giving her Bible studies. And I knew, here I was, I was living in Kansas at the time, uh, I was in Tucson, Arizona, and I this, as I inter- talked with this lady, she had actually, now let me step back up. Where I'm from in Iowa is a very small area. It's the only county in Iowa that doesn't have a fast food restaurant or a stoplight. <laughs> and uh, the, but as we talked, she had uh, spent a couple years uh, uh in the same county, had gone to the same school that I had many years before. And I knew that God had crossed our paths because there was a connection there to be able to try to point her to the Lord. 
It can be protection along our way. As we're driving along and we have a near miss of a deer, there might have been some angels holding back that deer. (laughs) And even when things don't go the way we want them to, we can still see that God is working through it. I knew a man and he said, His wife was not a believer, and he had a heart attack, and he said, well, his wife was questioning, well, why did God allow you? He was a believer, she was not. Why did God allow you to have a heart attack? He said, well, think about where I was. You're a registered nurse, and we were leaving the hospital And I had a heart attack as we were leaving the hospital and uh, with a registered nurse right with me. I think that even though it's not the best thing, I think God was still working in that situation as well. And so we need to see God's working in our daily lives. Let's turn to a verse, Genesis chapter 45. And maybe it's not big, maybe it's just little things. But if you read a Bible verse and that gives you strength for that day, is that not God working in your life for that day? We need to see God working around us and learn of His goodness and His love. Not are we to think about why did this happen? Why did they... Going back to the analogy I used, my... my, a friend that had a heart attack. No, not why did I have a heart attack, but look at, well, look at how God was with me even in that situation. And this is what Joseph did. Genesis 45. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Verse 5 and onward. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, do you think that those were nice experiences that Joseph went through? Slavery, false accusation, the dungeon, being forgotten by the man he helped, the butler. And yet Joseph said, God was working, God was with me, God was the one. Now just stop and think. There's actually indication that Potiphar was... uh, a captain in the king's court to begin with. And that's why Joseph went to the dungeon because if he hadn't have been, if Potiphar had not have been somebody high up in the government, probably he would not have gone to the dungeon. He just would have been executed immediately. 
But just think. Joseph believes that God is with him. He remembers those dreams God gave to him. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out. And here he is. And you remember his appeal to the butler, please speak to Pharaoh for me. I'm just a, I'm a Hebrew that was stolen away and I just want to go home. Well, think if the butler would have remembered. And the butler remembers and says, oh, Pharaoh, there was a guy that helped me in the prison and I think you should let him go. And Pharaoh lets him go and he goes back home. What happens to the story? Everything that God had been working through, I'm not saying it was God's plan for him to be, for his brothers to sell him, but God was working through it all and God's plan that he was working to save hundreds of thousands of people and the covenant people would have been, God would have had to work a different way. (laughs) It wouldn't have worked out the way it did. And so Joseph could say, from slavery to false accusation to the dungeon to being forgotten, God was with me and God was working. Should we be able to say that in our lives? We should know God more by recognizing and thanking Him for the good and the bad that comes to us because we have a loving Father in heaven that wants the best for us. Let's go to John chapter 5, verse 39. Number one, we know not in a... uh, I'm not going to say number one. One way we know God is through nature. Another way we know God is through how he leads us in our lives. We recognize his hand is in his providences. But the greatest way that we know God, John chapter 5, verse 39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they, which what does it say? testify of me. You search the scriptures. Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees here. You search the scriptures because you think you have eternal life by searching the scriptures. But the scriptures are what tell you about me. The greatest source of knowing God is in His Word. We know Him through nature, yes. We can recognize His leading in our lives and we can know more about Him. But through Scripture, that is the lens that helps us to understand both nature and what takes place in our lives today. And Jesus says, you, know, you search the scriptures, but those, they are they which testify of me. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. 
as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. What do we grow thereby? The pure milk of the word. Not diluted. Not corrupted. The pure milk of the word. Devotional books are good, but they're not enough. Sermons are helpful, but it's not enough. This Sabbath school lesson is great, but it's still not enough. We need a daily, consistent, individual plan for knowing God in His Word. It doesn't earn us anything, but it teaches us of Him. Now I want to go through. These are principles, and there's other principles we could look at, but I want to go through a few principles that I gleaned from this chapter in Steps to Christ. Number one, do not rush. I think that's probably the most important principle in studying the Bible. Do not rush. Why? Because if you rush, you're going to read the words, but not get the meaning of the words. Even if you know what it means, you're not going to get the depth of the meaning. Because when we study the Word, we are looking to know God, not just check off that we read a certain number of chapters today. And I believe if we are intentional about saying, God, I want to learn more of you today. And we spend time in his word. God will speak to us today and the next and the next. It might not be revolutionary every time. That's okay. (laughs) But we can learn something. Steps to Christ says, one passage studied until its significance is clear to the mind and its relation to the plan of salvation is evident is of more value than the perusal of many chapters with no definite purpose in view and no positive instruction gained. I like, when I am reading, I like... To, hi- to circle and to highlight and to put brackets and parentheses and things like that in my Bible. Because it helps me to focus and get more from what I'm reading. So, every few years, once I have a Bible marked up, I start with a different Bible. So I have another Bible that I started with this year, and I'm beginning to mark. Actually, I read this Bible last year, but I was reading through uh, more quickly because we were going all through the books of the Bible last year. And so now I'm going back more slowly, and I'm marking it. You mark however, you don't have to mark even, but it helps me. And you mark however it helps you. 
I started out with just a yellow highlighter. And then I went to like five colors of colored pencil that I coated different things with in another Bible. And then after that, I went with five colors of pins. And then I went to three colors of pins. Now I'm just using one pin. (laughs) Another way that will help many times is to have a journal and write what you gained that day in the journal. A paragraph. Doesn't have to be big. Can just be a few notes, whatever. Or if you're more of a visual person, draw what you learned. Draw a picture. Doesn't matter. The process is that it's intentionally helping you to recognize what you gained that day. And as you write it, however, it helps to put it in your memory as well. So do not rush. That's probably, you know what, that's the biggest thing right there. Do not rush. If you only read one verse, but you get amazing insights out of the verse, it's better than if you read a whole book. Pray and study together. should go together. Because as we read, God is speaking to us, but as we pray, we're talking to Him about making it real and practical in our lives. I'm going to skip that quote. Number three, it does take time. There's no set amount of time. But to get insights and to learn of God, it's probably going to take more than five minutes a day. It doesn't have to always be the same amount of time every day. Life can change. But to really get insights requires careful research and prayerful reflection. Number four, meditate on the scripture that you have learned throughout the day. That is why spending time with God in the morning is so helpful, because we have something to think about throughout the rest of the day. Now, it doesn't have to be what we said. It can be something different, but it's the time, it's the discipline of thinking about it that makes it a blessing for us. If we want to know God, we have to spend time with Him. You know, I imagine, if you're like me, there were friends that I had when I was in school that I knew really well. Why? Because I saw them every day, I was talking to them, and now I haven't interacted with them for years. Do I still know them? They're an acquaintance, aren't they? I don't know their lives now. I don't know what's going on now. I might have known, I might have known the deepest things about them in, in high school or whatever. If we don't continue to spend time, then we won't really know. But we have to prioritize spending time with Him. We have to 
we have to separate us from the distractions of this world. David says in Psalm 119, 103, that your words are sweeter than honey. God wants his word to be sweeter than honey to us. Job says in Job 23, 12, I esteemed your words more than my necessary food. God wants his words to be more important to us than breakfast. Let's turn as we close back to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. There's one aspect we haven't looked at. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. Notice what he says. Glory is not the riches, the wealth, the might, or any other thing of this world. True glory is to know Jesus. But it's not talking about knowing prophetic charts. It's not talking about knowing doctrine. Those are all good. Not against any of that. But notice what he's talking about. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. I'm the Lord. My character. God. The God of the universe invites us to know Him. And as we know Him, to have true glory with Him. But it takes discipline. It takes intentionality. Intentionally spending time with Him each day in His Word. Educating ourselves to look for God's working in our daily life and directing our minds to our Creator in the beautiful things around us. And Jesus invites us to a knowledge of Him. I want to know Him and I want to know Him more. Do you want to know Him more as well?